Hey, welcome to week number two of Losing Your Religion. Um, as we get started, just letting you know, we're kind of uh, presenting to you some information that we have learned, and we're doing our best. It's from one of our mentors, kind of from a distance, um, a great distance. He's in Georgia. Uh, his name's Andy Stanley, and we're just doing our best to present this to you as accurately as possible um, because the information's amazing. And, and as we ran across it, it was just like we have got to. This has been planned for a year now, and we said this, this, is, uh, this is something we want to get in your hands. Um, just being honest with you this morning, religion, re- really, religion can be very, very weird. It can just be strange and bizarre. Um, maybe you come from another church type background and when you walk in here you may say wow they really this is just strange it's I mean it should be reverent and it should be quiet and it should be meditative this is nothing what church is supposed to be like I mean they're laughing and this is just weird and then if we were to maybe go into your church the where you grew up we might say wow this is so quiet and so meditative they need to wake up and so it just, it, depending on your perspective and how you were raised and your background, um, this whole religion thing can just be bizarre. And in fact, according to the way you were raised and how you grew up, you may have the feeling that the way you were taught and the way that you grew up, that's the right way to do it and all the other ways are wrong. Because I know for me, as I grew up, being taught a very specific way, a very specific style and system, and it certainly was not what we have here at Sugar Harvest Church, I had the feeling that everything else around me, that they were all doing it wrong. Because that was my background and that was my experience. You know, religion, though, can just be bizarre. And one of the things that can happen easily is it can get very mystical, um, it can be, uh, you know, some people would say that in order for it to be right, it has to be very much internal and it has to be very, you know, something meditative. You clear your mind, you have to concentrate and think and maybe even chant. It can become very mystical. It can also become very superstitious. I, I, maybe you grew up and thinking this in your home and you say, well, we're not superstitious. We're, I mean, that's kind of for other world religions or baseball players or something. We're yeah, not superstitious. That's what I was going to say. I'm superstitious. <laughs> We're I'm not good. superstitious in church, right? But so superstition is any time we do something, and we may do it over and over again because we feel like that's what we're supposed to do, and if we don't do it, we feel like something bad may happen. And so it may be as simple as uh, doing things that we don't even understand why we're doing them. Um, it, it's uh, in, in your home, it may be an unwritten rule that you don't stack anything on top of the Bible. If it's sitting out on the coffee table, that nothing gets stacked on the Bible. Or that, uh, you, you know, if you drop your Bible, you may be very careful to pick it up and dust it off. I mean, maybe you have the feeling that if we don't treat the, the book with as much respect as we should, then perhaps it something bad, God might get mad at us and do something to us. That's superstition. That's superstition. And religion is full of superstition and different superstitious ideas. You know what else it's full of? It's also full of legalism. And legalism says this, that you, here is your list of rules, and you have to obey these. If God is going to love you, you have to do these things. And if you don't do them, he won't love you. 
and neither will anybody in the church, right? That's legalism. And, and religion is full of legalism, which leads to this next thing. It leads to judgmentalism. And here's what judgmentalism really is all about. It basically says, well, judgment, it says, I, I look around and I see other people maybe are following these legalistic rules better than I am. And because of that, I feel like when they look at me that perhaps they're judging me because I, I just, I, they're doing it better than I am. And so I feel judged. And right behind feeling judged is this other feeling. And it's the feeling that happens when any time that list of rules increases and we're not following it as well as we once did or as well as we can, then this begins to happen. We begin to pretend like we're following the list of rules better than we really are following the list of rules. And that's where we come up with the word Hypocrite. Because isn't that the reason sometimes people run away from church is because they say it's full of hypocrites, right? People who are pretending to live that list of rules better than they really are living that list of rules. And in fact, that really, that word hypocrite, honestly, we may run away from church because of that word, but deep down inside, most everybody pretend to live those things and maybe other standards in your life it may not be the legalistic standards of church but we pretend to live the list of rules whatever they may be better than we're actually living that list of rules and you know what that applies not just to you that applies to Cole that applies to me and it applies to Donnie none of us live the list of rules better or, or as as good as maybe we feel like we should and so that's not new. This whole hypocrite thing is not, is not new. It's been around forever because we always have that feeling, I'm not quite measuring up. There are so many things that this can lead to, this whole topic of religion. And religion actually fuels legalism. Religion actually fuels um, hypocrisy and judgmentalism and superstition and mysticism. Religion actually is fuel and those things grow. And there's no, no wonder that it happens because we have this tendency to want to understand God. That is given. That's planted inside each one of us. We want to understand God. We have this need and this desire. The problem is we don't understand him. And so we are trying to close this gap between us and between God and all of this space in the middle. So no wonder religion steps in to try to help us close this gap between us and between God and it just doesn't work because there's so much there that we just simply don't know. That's why religion can become so weird. It's dealing with things we just don't know. Questions we just can't get answers to. We're trying to get answers to them, but we just don't have answers for them. So it can become confusing and signals can get mixed. But this is amazing, though. Don't miss this. When Christianity actually began... Not when Jesus was born, which we were just singing about, but when Christianity began. It was 33, 30-ish years after Jesus was born. That's when Christianity really began. 
when Christianity really began, when you read the story of how this all started and how, and how it launched, in the beginning with Christianity, there really was no goofy stuff. I mean, religion was not part of it. Judgmentalism, it really wasn't there. Legalism, it tried to peek its head up, but it went away quickly. Uh, there was no superstition, and there was no... Uh, there really was not even a focus on the supernatural as religion, as Christianity, I mean, as it began. The story of Jesus was so simple and so liberating, it wasn't bound up with a lot of weird religious stuff. So, that is what we would hope to find. If we were looking to find God and to connect with God, we would hope that it wouldn't be wrapped up with a whole lot of this is what you have to do, which is religion. And that's exactly what we find as it all began. But, often that's not the case for us today. Sometimes we have to lose our religion really in order to connect with God in a very real way. Sometimes the best step toward God is actually stepping away from the traditions that we grew up with and the religion that we grew up with. Sometimes that's the best step because we have associated things with God that He never intended to have associated with himself. So sometimes the best step towards God is a step away from religion. Right. And guys, you may need to take my, my mic down just a touch because I think that's me. Um, today we are going to, off of, off of Harley's introduction there, we're going to jump into the book of Acts. Uh, and that's what, we're going, that's what we're going to use as our, our launching pad into our, our second message in this series, Losing My Religion. And, and so we're going to jump into the book of Acts. And if you know a little bit about, uh, little bit about the Bible, you know that Acts is nothing more than uh, a history book of the early church, of the first century church, uh, of what happened in, following Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. So the book of Acts is, is just basically a history book of what happened after Jesus left and specifically, we're going to, again, look in the book of Acts, and we're going, specific, going to specifically talk about a, an issue that the first century church dealt with. And it is an issue that, as Harley just finished talking about, is an issue that the 21st century church, we today have to deal with, and that is religion that the early church encountered. And, and we're going to use, again, the book of Acts, and we're going to talk about Paul. Uh, today and, and you know Paul when he was born uh, he was given the name Saul and we know that Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus and became a follower of Christ his name was changed to Paul uh, and Paul decided that he was going to be a little bit different in his spreading of the gospel because at that time uh, Christianity or, or, or following you know the, the, basically the Jesus sect as we you might could call it was a very 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 small regional uh, group. The, the church, as we would know it in the first century, was very small, very regional. It had really not left the borders of Israel at this point. Uh, this was even just almost immediately following Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And Paul decided that he wanted to take the gospel outside of the Jewish community, outside of the Jewish culture. And he was going to take it specifically to the Roman and the Greek culture of the day. Uh, now, if you know a little bit about the Roman and Greek culture and the Jewish culture, you know that those two, those three cultures, were like mixing oil and water. 
there was very few similarities at all. Uh, you know, Palestine, which is what the area of Israel was known at that time, Palestine was nothing more than an outlying province that had been engulfed by Roman expansion. Uh, if you lived in Palestine, you lived on the edge of the Roman Empire. You, uh, if, you, if you were uh, Jewish, if you were sent to Palestine, in all likelihood, as a, your political future, your, your upward mobility in the Roman Empire had probably ceased. Uh, we know from historical record that when Pontius Pilate found out that he was going to be the, the uh, governor of Palestine, he took that as a very, very big uh, 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 kind of a, a, a negative. It was a very negative to him because, again, to live in Palestine was not, you know, something that, that you wanted to do. It was not a good thing. And so we're talking about Paul taking this, this Jesus, this gospel, to a culture that was completely opposite and in some cases uh, one, just a 180-degree difference from the Jewish culture. Um, you know, if we were to kind of make a connection, to make a, a, a metaphor or a comparison today, you know, imagine you were a salesperson. And imagine that you were a salesperson who lived in Stuttgart, Arkansas, and you sold snowmobiles, okay? Uh, and you were a snowmobile salesman. You had the best facilities. You had the best location. You had the best product. You were the best snowmobile salesman that has ever lived. Would you be a very, uh, do very well in the snowmobile business in Stuttgart, Arkansas? No. Why? Because there's not a need there. There's no, there's no demand. Uh, the culture of, of where we live, it doesn't dictate a need for a snowmobile. Whereas you were to go to, say, Green Bay, Wisconsin, and you could probably feed your family very well. In Stuttgart, Arkansas, in all likelihood, your family's going to starve. That's really what Paul was dealing with. He was dealing with taking a completely foreign idea to a, to a culture that was really not interested in what he had to say. Um, you know, I mean, it's a, Harley, really, if you want to just get it down to exactly Paul's story, Paul's message, it was, hey, I know a guy, a Jewish guy, which that's strike one, you know. I know a Jewish guy who was born to a carpenter and became a carpenter. Well, that's strike two because carpentry was not a, it was, it was lowly work. I mean, it was, it was work. It was, it would, pay the bills, so to speak, but it was nothing special in that day and age. He became a rabbi, but that was kind of interesting. He was a teacher. He had a new idea. He had new uh, uh, ideas that he brought to the table. And by the way, he was the son of God. I, I'm, I'm telling you about a Jewish carpenter rabbi who was the son of God. And we, I want you, Paul was saying to the Greek and the Roman culture, I want you to completely abandon everything that you have ever known. I want you to abandon uh, everything that you have been taught, that you have, that you have been brought up to believe about your Roman gods, your Greek gods, uh, the way that you worship in this culture. I want you to forget it all. I want you to completely turn your back on it, and I want you to follow Jesus. I want you to become a follower of Jesus. What would you think in that situation? That's a tough sell. That's crazy. Yeah. That's a tough sell. That's like trying to sell snowmobiles in Stuttgart, Arkansas. It's a tough sell. Um, and in fact, to make it even more difficult, you know, I think the, the Roman culture, the Greek culture would, would look at Paul and say, okay, wait a second. So you want me to follow a Jewish carpenter rabbi who is the son of a god who can't even protect his own people? Because remember, at this time, the, 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 the uh, Israelites at this time, the Jewish culture at this time were captives, in a, in a way, yeah. of the Roman Empire. They had been conquered. Uh, and so they are going to follow a God that can't even take care of his own people. Tough sale. 
Tetzel. And so that's really where we find Paul. Uh, he is bringing a completely foreign story to a totally opposite culture. And that's, that's the task that he is, he is given. He is, and we're going to find out when we jump into the story in the book of Acts that he's visiting, visiting the city of Athens. Uh, now, if you were to go to Athens today, you would see much of the same things that Paul saw when he was in Athens uh, 2,100 or so years ago. You would see the Acropolis. You would have, he would have seen the Parthenon. He would have seen the Temple of Zeus. That was all there. Uh, so it would look maybe a little different today as far you know, a little bit more but run those, down. Those, those landmarks are there. They're, they were yeah. still there. Um, and while Paul is in Athens, he discovers a few things about that city. He discovers that it was a very religious city. So again, first century church, we're dealing with a very religious culture, much like the 21st century church. Um, and he's actually going to engage in conversation, in debate with the... I don't know what the, the upper crust yeah. of the day he's yeah. going to engage. So let's just jump into the Bible, into, into the book of Acts, chapter 17. It's going to be on the screen. We'll start in verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols that he saw everywhere in the city. Everywhere he looks, everywhere he turns, he sees an idol. He sees a temple. He sees a place of worship. Paul sees that this, these Athenians, this culture is, one, very religious, but number two, they're not very certain right. because they have so many different focuses yeah. of their worship. They know that there's something out there. This culture knows that there's something to be believed in. They just really don't know what it is. They don't know what that, that is. Verse 17, so he went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all uh, who happened to be there. In verse 18, and he also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic and philosophers, which the Epicureans, they're kind of interesting. We might today say that they were hedon, hedonistic. Uh, they believed in pleasure first, pleasure second, and pleasure third. Uh, their, their philosophy on life was to live, have fun, and die. Pretty much that. The Stoics uh, were a group of people that were very internal. They, uh, they believed, actually, the Stoics actually believed their philosophy was that emotion uh, led to bad decisions and bad judgment, and so therefore you, you suppress emotion and you're going to make better decisions. And then, of course, the, the philosophers, well, they were the best because they didn't have jobs. They just sat around all day and talked and debated and had conversations. So um, this is the group of people that Paul is bringing this story of this carpenter rabbi son of God this Jewish carpenter rabbi, son of God. And when he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, I like this, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas that he's picked up? In other words, what's this guy talking about? This is, this is a foreign concept that you're talking to us about. You're talking about one God. Um, and then others said, and I like this, he seems to be preaching about some foreign God. And Paul's right. going to give, Harley's going to talk yeah. about how Paul kind of explains Because they have the idea that maybe Paul is now adding a, a new God to all of these other gods, Zeus and all the others, because I don't know their gods. So um, I read about it in high school, and I have forgotten it. So, but we, you know, he, Paul, so they were like, maybe Paul's adding another God to this list, but that's not what Paul was doing. I mean, he's going to clarify that in a moment. Paul was just saying, no, 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 this is not a God we're adding to the pile of all the other gods you have. We're starting from the beginning here. God loved you so much that he sent, actually sent his son, God himself, into the world. And by the way, his name is Jesus. And he did that in order to prove to prove that he was who he claimed to be. So in order to prove that, that's why he rose 
Jesus from the dead after he died. And Paul went to this, these philosophical people, these theologians, um, and, and just telling them this. He didn't say this is something we've learned from philosophy. He didn't say this is something we have learned from the study of theology. This was actually current event. This was happening. This had just happened. They were living in the day that this happened. They, these people were all talking about philosophy and theology and what could be. Paul was talking about what was, what had happened, current events. And it had happened not very many years ago. So this was, this was not far from the here and now and the reality of what was going on. I know for us, as we talk about it, we're talking about thousands of years when they were talking about it, it was just a handful of years. They were all around when it was happening. So that's not philosophy, Paul is saying. This is actual current events. Verse 19. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Now this high council of the city was a court, basically, where they would decide if what you were teaching could be taught out in the public. So they kind of had a, a group of scholars who were there, and it says they brought Paul to this group so that they could hear what Paul was teaching, really in order to decide if they were going to let him teach. And so that's what happened. So it moves on. It said, they tell Paul, they said, come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. Now verse 20. You were saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. Verse 21. It should be explained that all the Athenians here, these were... Uh, these guys were, um, let me see what I just wrote down here. These guys would come together. They would simply discuss all the latest ideas, the latest teaching. Can you, can you imagine being so wealthy? You didn't have to work. You just showed up and you just talked. Sounds like heaven. <laughs> Cole's like, that sounds amazing. I love to talk. And so can it, but that's all they did all day long. They didn't have to work. They just showed up and they just talked. Verse 22. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. He said, men of Athens, I notice that you are religious in every way. And Paul was not talking down to them. The, 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 under, understand what's happening. Everywhere he looks, he sees idols. He sees temples. He's not talking down to them. Listen to what he's actually getting ready to say. Verse 23. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it. It said, to an unknown God. Now, this is how things happened then. In their culture, they had gods for their city. This was the God who was going to protect our city. Then they had a God who would protect their family and keep them healthy. Then they had a God who would protect their crops and help their crops to grow. They had a God that would protect their business and make their business successful. They had a God who would protect their country and keep their country safe. They had gods for everything, just in case, just in case they had this extra shrine, this extra statue, this extra God, the unknown God. And here's what was going on in their minds. We think that in order to stay healthy, we need this God over here. In order to keep our kids from being sick, we need this God. But what if there's a God that we don't know about and someday he shows up or she shows up into our town and 
says, but hey, what about me? And then he smites us and destroys us because we didn't know about him. So let's put this up. And that way, if he shows up, we can say, wait a minute, wait a minute. We did know about you. We just didn't know your name. See, we've got this set up. This is all, that's for you. We knew about you. We just didn't know your name. That was kind of their just-in-case God. And I know that sounds strange, but we have a tendency to do that as well. It sounds really familiar. It sounds something like this. It sounds something like it says, you know, I really don't believe in all this church stuff and all that. I, I mean, I, just, I don't know what to think about it. I don't, but just in case, I, I, I'm going to go Easter, just in case. Just in case, maybe I'll show up at Christmas. Christmas falls on a Sunday. Yeah, just in case. Because, I, I, I mean, I don't want to make, if, if this all ends up being true, I don't want to make the one who's responsible to decide about my eternity, I don't want to make him mad, so just in case I'm going to show up. It may sound like this. You know, I don't, I'm, I, I don't believe in all this stuff, but, you know, I'm, I'm not even really Catholic, but maybe just in case I'm going to show up to confession once a year maybe and just do what I, you know, it's just this, just-in-case thing. Maybe not really bought in, but for us, that's kind of the unknown God. It's the just-in-case something. And Paul is saying here, here wait a minute, guys. I, I, I'm not going to shame you about all this stuff. I want to pause on this unknown God. That's what I want to talk about. Well, and for the follower of Christ, it's no different because you've got, okay, the Bible says this, but just in case, I'm going to add that, 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 yes. that, and check the box. That's the and just make in sure, case. Just in case. I, I want to make sure. If the Bible says this, I'm going to take it this far, maybe right. just in case. And Paul is saying, listen, I want to talk about this. You've already admitted that you don't know everything about God and what's out there. You don't, you've admitted it because you've said, here's the unknown. So you know that. So let's pause here. And let's address this gap, this unknown part to you. And this is where he picks it back up with Scripture. He says, this God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made all the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in these man-made temples that you've built. It's almost like Paul is kind of systematically dismantling generations of religion, generation after generation of, well, let's add this God and let's put this God into place and let's put this idol into place. And he's just kind of systematically breaking it down, chipping away to get to that final conclusion of one true God. Uh, you know, Paul, he goes, he says, you know, number one, that temple over there, it's not big enough to hold my God I'm talking about. You can put them all together and it's still not big enough it, it, God doesn't fit into that human box that you've created. Um, in verse 25, he says, And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. In Greek culture and Roman culture, it was a common thing that, that people would bring food to the gods. And not just Greek and Roman culture. This, was, this is thousands of years old. Bring food to the gods, clothing to the gods. Anything that the gods might need, people would give them. And Paul's saying here, My God doesn't need your help. My God can get nothing. There's nothing you can give my God that he can't do for himself, that he needs. He, uh, he himself gives life and breath to everything and satisfies every single need. Um, verse 26, for one man, from one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. Right here, he hits the Roman culture a little bit because we're talking about culturally speaking the roman culture really was a lot like american culture because they really didn't have a culture they just kind of took other 
cultures and turned them into their own. But one thing that the Romans were very proud of was their ability to, to conquer and their ability to grow and expand. And Paul here is saying to the Romans, he's saying, listen, those lines, those boundary lines that you're so proud of, my God drew them. Uh, th- these, uh, th- the, the control and, the, and the, uh, the domination of the known world that you, you are so proud of, my God said... It's okay. He preordained it. He's beginning to, he's, he's really getting on their level and saying, my God is in control of everything that you, uh, you, you deal with. My God is in control and has been concerned with your culture for a very long time. Yeah, so it's not like your little God of your health and your home and right. the God of your country. He said, God trumps all that. Yeah. Well, he, look at verse 27. He says, his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel or reach their way toward him and find him. Now, this is so interesting because in this statement, Paul is defining religion. He said, the purpose of your religion, even all of this stuff, guys, that y'all are doing with Zeus and whatever the Greek versions were, or maybe that is, I have no idea, but all these gods, all this religion, he says, the purpose of that has been... For, and the purpose has been good for you to seek after God and perhaps feel, reach your way towards Him, to try to find God. That is the purpose of religion for us to try to find, to locate, to understand God. That defines religion. People seeking, looking for God. And Paul says, God has done all of that, so that you could connect with Him. The amazing thing is, God is okay with you trying to seek Him and find Him and search for Him to feel your way toward Him, which is what religion does. And God says, that was okay that you did that. But listen, God has actually now sought you and come to you. You have been reaching for the best of your ability. But now look what God has done. And he says, so you've been looking your way to find him. And then, though he is not far from any one of us. The good news Paul is saying is this. That God is near. Now Paul begins to quote some of their philosophy. Things they were very familiar with. Because the guys who sat and talked about it all day long. This is some of what they were talking about. So they were... They knew what he was getting ready to say. For in him we live and move and exist. And they're like, yeah, that's what we believe. We believe that God has kind of created us and all of this. And and Paul says, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offsprings. And they're like, true, yeah, we we believe that. Okay, thought it was Zeus, but okay, we're, we're hearing where you're going. We understand. We're tracking with you. God's bigger than our temple. We can't put him in a box. You know, we try to keep him. So keep going, Paul, verse 29. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver. He's looking around at all these idols they build, not from gold or silver or stone. He says, don't make your God so small. Verse 30, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. Do you hear what Paul is saying? Paul is saying, your efforts, what you were trying to do with religion was actually good. 
It was leading you to search for, to seek out, and to understand God. And here you have this unknown God. I'm going to tell you about him. But what happened with your religion actually was a good thing because you were searching for God. You were searching and looking. But what you have ended up with, it's too small. It's too little. Focusing your worship on this statue or this thing, it's, it's not enough. So we say, well, let's build a building. So we build a temple. And then we say, well, we need a bigger one. And your continued search through religion is never going to fulfill. It has led you toward God. But what you're doing with religion is never going to fulfill you. And so he says, God overlooked this. He, he's not going to be angry with you for trying to find him. He's overlooked this fact that you just don't know him. He says he overlooked these things in earlier times. In other words, he's saying it's all changed. Something has changed now. Something new has happened. All of this religion stuff, God's going to overlook it because something new is coming down the pipe. It's almost like Paul's going to play a little good cop, bad cop here. You know, he's, he's telling them everything to this point is okay, and then he's going to drop the hammer yeah. with the rest of, of verse 30. He says, but now, what I was talking about is in the past, now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and to turn to him. When we hear the word repent, the first thing that pops into my mind and probably pops into most of, of y'all's mind is that you change what you do. You change your actions. You change your ways. But the Greek word actually means to change your mind. Change the way that you think about something. And, and when you change your mind, your actions will follow. Paul's saying, now is the time to change your thinking about God. Change your thinking about the way you approach God. Change the, the things that you have leaned on for generations and generations it's time to change or to repent, change your mind, change the way you think. God's overlooked uh, everything that, that Harley was just talking about, but now I'm going to tell you about something new, something that not only is, is new in terms of you've just heard about it, I'm telling you about it now, but new in it, it just happened. This is something that has just happened. Um, and, and, and he has done, God speaking, has done something new and has done it not in your father's generation, but in your generation and before your very eyes, verse 31, for he has set a day of judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. That's Jesus. He's talking about Jesus, and he's telling them everybody's accountable. Up to this point, I'm not talking about what has happened to now. I'm talking about from now going forward. God sent that Jewish carpenter rabbi that I was telling you about earlier. He sent him to judge, you know, at that time, you know, he's saying I, the Greeks aren't going to judge you, the Romans aren't going to judge you, the, 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 the Jew, Jewish culture is not going to judge you, the, the king, the, the, the prince, these idols, these temples, they're not going to judge you. Jesus will judge you. You know, we could say it today. We could bring that into the 21st century. Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Pentecostal, they're not going to judge us. Jesus will be the one to do the judging. And he goes further, and he proved, and I like this, to everyone who this, who this is by raising him from the dead. That is a game-changing conversation. 
for these people in the first century church. And it is a game-changing conversation or to the first century culture he was speaking to. And it's a game-changing conversation to us today as well. Um, you know, the good news, Paul's, Paul's telling these people, the good news is that you have been seeking after God. I can see that. There's idols everywhere. There are temples everywhere. You have been seeking. You just, the bad news is you've been seeking in the wrong places. You've been looking toward the wrong gods. In the 21st century, the same thing could be said. The, the good news is that if you're sitting in Stuttgart Harvest Church this morning, the good news is you're seeking God on some level. Now, you may have come because we have donuts and coffee, hmm. but you're sitting here, and so you're seeking God on somewhere. Uh, you may have come because you're filling out a secret shopper for us, but you're seeking God because you're sitting here. The bad news is that for a lot of us, we've been seeking in the wrong places. And then Paul's going forward and said the good news is that God decided that even though you're seeking and you're seeking in the wrong places, God has decided to make himself known. God with us, Emmanuel. He said God has made himself known through Jesus. And because that he knew that you guys would be skeptical, because, let's be perfectly honest, we're going to talk today to anywhere between 160 and 210, 220 people today. And there are going to be some people sitting in this room that are skeptical about what we're talking about. And they're going to go, eh, I don't know about that. It was no different for Paul right. than it is for Harley today or for me today or anybody today. He knew that there would be skeptics. So he defeated death and came back to life. This Jesus that we're talking about. He decided to prove it not in theology, God decided not to prove it in philosophy. God decided to prove it in actual and a historical event that happened, that, yes, Jesus is the new thing, the change. The religion has been passed away, and Jesus is the answer. Um, you know, I think it's interesting because not only did he prove it historically, but remember, he's talking to a bunch of people that lived at the time that this took place, that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so... Did you guys know that there were over, at least, over 500 people that saw the resurrected Jesus after he had died and come back? There were over five, at least 500 people that we know of that saw him at one time. At least 500 people. So this is an event that Paul says, look, I'm telling you about a new way. I'm telling you about... God sending his son and, and everything that he did, this Jewish rabbi carpenter, I'm telling you about him. And not only can I just tell you the story, you can go talk to my friends because they have seen it. They saw it happen. Verse 32, when, he heard, when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. That's no different than today. Of those people that are in here today that are a little bit skeptical, that we'll talk to that are a little bit skeptical, some will leave and they'll still be skeptical. And that's okay. Because that's going to happen. That happened in Paul's day. That happens today. But, Paul says in verse 32, others said, we want to hear more about this later. And that is really where we are in the 21st century. At Stuttgart Harvest Churches, the, for those of you that are sitting there thinking, I want to hear a little bit more about this. That, that's what we're doing yeah. here. Is we're talking about the gospel that Paul was talking about 2,100 years ago is the same gospel that we're talking yeah, about today. Exactly. So really the point today that we're making is this. Perhaps you've had some kind of bad religious experience in your past or in your, could be even your recent past, and we're sorry about that. That is sad because the truth is religion can get in the way of us really connecting with God. 
if you were to peel away all of the religious stuff, just take it away that's been added over the years by well-meaning teachers and leaders and parents and grandparents and people and take away all the buildings and all the crosses and all the steeples and all the clothes. Not we're, saying, we're not saying take away the cross. That's where Jesus died, but the decorative crosses. That was never a part of the early church. If we peeled away all of this stuff and, and the... the the, the questions of why, do we, why, why don't you sing hymns or you have to sing this or that and you have to wear this or this certain thing to be a part and you're divorced, you can't be a part of this and you don't act right, you can't be a part of this. If you, if you peeled all of that stuff away and just got to the important stuff, the stuff that we find in the New Testament scriptures, if we stripped it all the way back, to the moment when this thing happened and began. Paul is saying this, guys, you haven't been wrong about everything, just incomplete. You knew that you had to seek after God. Something inside of you was driving you to figure this God thing out. That was a good thing. You just didn't have complete information because God has actually, the God, the real God has actually reached out to you through Jesus. And you don't have to live your life wondering if this is how to connect with God and wandering around looking for Him. God wants to be known and has made Himself known through Jesus and He died on a Roman cross and three days later God raised Him to life again so that you could know Him. He was the offering for everyone. It doesn't matter what religion you have grown up, Jesus was an offering for you. This is not an add-on God, just to add to all of your other religious things. This is the real God. The completion of all the questions that your religion has been asking you, generation after generation, Jesus answered those questions by coming and dying on a cross for us. So this is a new moment. Paul is saying this is a new moment in history. God has staged an event for you by sending himself, Jesus, to die. Religion, it asks the question, who is right? But the better question is, who is Jesus? Religion asks the question, what is truth? But the better question is, what happened? Because God came and lived here among us as Jesus and was raised from the dead. Religion asks, what does God want from us? But Christianity looks around and says, look what God has done for us. Religion says, what kind of sacrifice do I have to make so that I can gain God's approval and acceptance? And Christianity says, look at the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, dying in our place. Jesus was not the next religion, the next thing, just another option. That's not what Jesus was. Jesus, in and of himself, is the answer to all the questions that religion has been asking generation after generation. And Paul said, you haven't just been really all wrong. You've been asking the right questions. 
God has just now chosen to answer all of your questions through Jesus. And it's amazing. People who had been raised believing in all of these other gods and all of these other things and religions, many of them abandoned their religion, what they had been taught for generation after generation, and they began to follow Jesus. They embraced the truth of Jesus. They exchanged their worldview of how they thought things worked and how they thought things should be and how they maybe were. They abandoned all of that and began seeing things from God's perspective and God's worldview. Amazing. I believe that if you strip away all of the junk that we have loaded up with Jesus and we've called it religion, if we just take all of that away, Maybe if we were to look at just the simple gospel, you can, you can find that even in the book of John. If we were to just look at the simple gospel, if we would just read it maybe from a distance and strip away all of the religion that we have grown up with and been taught and thought that this is the way it was supposed to be, do this, say this, kneel here, bow here. If we just stripped it all away and just read through it, got back to the message of what Jesus is in the gospel that we'll see that God has sent us an answer, what we had always hoped for, connecting with a very personal God who has invited you to call Him Father, who has promised you and me eternal life if we will simply just ask Him to forgive us. He did not send a philosopher. He did not send a teacher or a poet. He sent a carpenter. He sent Jesus and staged an event that would change history till the end of time. The bottom line this morning says this, if you focus on Jesus, if you focus on Jesus, the doubts you have about religion may remain, but the doubts you have about God, they'll begin to change. Because Jesus did not come to be another religious option. He came to answer the question that all religions have been asking for all time, for all generations. Perhaps this morning you're on the edge and you have some doubts. You're not alone. Perhaps you experienced something in church that wounded you and hurt you and caused you to run away from God for a long time or at least run away from church. You're not alone. But this morning we're just simply asking you as a next step to just draw back and just look at the simple story of Jesus this week. If you'll circle the letter A on the back of your connection card, here's what you're saying, that you'll just simply read the book of John this week. Not the one at the end of the Bible that's 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, not that. We're to just the simple gospel of John in the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of John. Just simply read that over the course of the week. It's not that big. Just read it a couple of chapters a day. You'll you'll get through that. Just simply read it and do your best to strip away all of these things you grew up with and have been taught and just read the simple gospel of here is why Christ was here and this is what he did and this is when he went to the cross and this is why. Would you just simply with us this week, everyone, we're asking everyone as the next step, would you just simply read this week the gospel of John?
and just do your best to strip away all the stuff you grew up with, all the hurt that maybe you have experienced in church, because we don't find that in the Gospel of John. Would you do that as the next step with us this week? Just simply read that. As Paul said, there's something in all of us that seeks, that wants to know, that wants to connect with God. And God loves you, my friend, so much that he sent Jesus so that you didn't have to wonder if there was some way to connect with God, so that you didn't have to wander through life looking for him. You don't have to spend your life with no assurance. Paul is saying, Jesus died for you. Be assured, you can connect with God. Let's pray. God, as Paul was saying, we have a desire to seek you, to find you, to look for you. And God, I'm so grateful that while we have been looking for you, and God, even when we were ignoring you, you came at just the right time and died for us. Thank you, God. Thank you that you have sought after us long before we ever began seeking after you. And now that leads many of our hearts to say, as some of those who were listening to Paul said, we want to hear more about this. God, thank you that we don't have to wander through life trying to guess if we can connect with you. Wander through life just hoping that in the end we will have had it right. But God, you sought us out and you died on the cross for us and did what we could not do for ourselves if we will simply give ourselves to you. And you'll take us. You'll forgive us. And you will call us your child. Thank you for that. And God, as many of us read through the book of John, the Gospel of John this week, I pray that through that simple Gospel, stripping away all religion, things we've added, just stripping it all away and looking at your simple Gospel, that you will speak to our hearts. And when we find you, I pray we will submit to you and say, God, you are my God. I choose you because you died on the cross for me. Thank you. God, when we do that, we can be assured that you have paid for our sins and we have to worry no more. And it is in the name of our Savior we pray, the name of Jesus. Amen. My friend, my friend, my friend, my friend, my friend.